Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 24th of January, and this is Govind Raj Ethiraj, based in a somewhat cool Mumbai right now, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day: the Indian stock markets buck the global trend, crack a thousand points. Will it stabilize? Chinese government to step in to buy stocks as panic spreads. Why PSU stocks are soaring and may continue to do so. Consumer product company sales are slowing down. Have they reached peak consumption? Guess the biggest overseas buyer of Indian tea. And Canada clamps down on international students, cuts visa quotas. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Indian markets swing down. As market swings go, this was another big one. Nothing to enter the record books, but the turnaround was notable considering Tuesday's trading day began with positive tailwinds from global markets including of course Wall Street hitting fresh highs. The plunge actually happened in the second half of trade on Tuesday as the BSE Sensex sank over 1600 points from its intraday high of 72039 having risen about 615 points earlier in the day and finally closing down 1053 points at 70371 the NSE Nifty closed at 21239 down 333 points Large caps including in banks, non-bank finance companies and insurance companies led the fall largely except for maybe ICICI Bank which did well. Two culprits for the day, Z and HDFC Bank, which caused some of the mayhem yesterday, Z and HDFC Bank, which both have something in common, unusual as it may sound. Z dragged down media stocks and the media index and HDFC Bank dragged the whole Sensex down once again. between the two hdfc with its high weightage obviously dragged down things more hdfc bank by the way has now hit a 52 week low with a 4% fall yesterday losing about 15% in the last one week thanks to shrinking net interest margins and weaker deposit growth all of which seems to have upset the market no end but media company z stole the show yesterday after sony called off a proposed 10 billion dollar merger yesterday and to add some salt to the proverbial wounds asked for a 90 million dollar compensation the stock fell 33% hitting lower circuits all the way bloomberg reported that at least 11 brokers including citigroup and clsa reduced their ratings on z as efforts to create an entertainment giant in india collapsed amidst a stalemate of over who would lead the combined entity The entire media sector is set to see a fresh flurry of action as smaller players try to consolidate to take on the platforms like Google and Meta who now lead the market a far cry from even a decade ago. The process of consolidation of course has been recognized the market a little while ago but getting together or banding together as you've seen is not that simple or as entertainment folks would now like to put it another season of the drama is sure to drop on our screens. Meanwhile Reliance Industries is in talks with Walt Disney to take over or merge its Indian arm a transaction the media industry will watch with greater interest now to see if any parallel moves will happen or emerge towards Sony or Z Crude oil seesaws but holds Oil too seesawed though not as dramatically as the Sensex or Nifty yesterday and of course a fall was welcome 
Prices dropped as supplies or the threat of it increased once again, neutralizing rising Middle Eastern tensions, more specifically after the United States and the United Kingdom launched more airstrikes against Houthi rebels in Yemen, which faces the Red Sea on which container and crude carriers pass on their way to and from the Suez Canal. Brent crude hit and dropped below $80 a barrel. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC, has said it will cut production, but there is abundant non-OPEC output forecast with the International Energy Agency forecasting ample supply, Bloomberg reported. In addition, Libya restarted flows from its largest field after a halt, and drillers in the United States are recovering from a freeze, that's cold freeze, that hurt operations. The latest crude oil spike happened after reports of a Ukrainian drone attack against energy facilities on Russia's Baltic coast. Now, all of this means that crude oil prices face two different geopolitical stress points in the Middle East and in Russia. Today's energy segment was supported by India Energy Week to be held next month on February 6th. Log on to www.indiaenergyweek.com for more details. More restrictions on gold imports. The Indian government has increased the import duty on gold and silver findings, which are used to make jewellery and on precious metal coins from 11 to 15% effective Jan 22nd to bring them in line with duties on gold and silver bars, Reuters is reporting. The Ministry of Finance also hiked the import duty on spent catalysts, as they're called, containing precious metals to about 14.3% from 10.1%. Now, why is all of this happening? Because apparently people are circumventing the duty on gold and silver bars by importing gold findings, which is hooks, clasps and other components used to make jewellery and presumably melting it all together or putting it together and finding a common price. Increasing import duties on gold is a general throwback to the past and usually only encourages and increases smuggling as data is already showing. China's government to step in to buy stocks. China's authorities are considering a package of measures to stabilize the slumping stock market, sources told Bloomberg. This effectively means the government could step in and start buying stocks to stabilize the market and reflects, more importantly, concern and perhaps even panic. Bloomberg said that policymakers are seeking to mobilize about $278 billion, mainly from the offshore accounts of Chinese state-owned enterprises, as part of a stabilization fund to buy shares onshore through the Hong Kong Exchange Link. They've also earmarked about 300 billion yuan of local funds to invest in onshore shares through China Securities Finance Corporation or Central Uijin Investment Limited, sources told Bloomberg. The benchmark CSI 300 index has hit a five-year low this week. Beijing could also be trying to calm irate investors who are already reeling from a property downturn. The formation of this state bank stabilization fund has apparently been contemplated since at least October, though some investors have raised doubts over its efficacy as Beijing's previous rescue efforts haven't always worked. However, the plans are still at planning stage and will be announced as soon as this week if approved by top leadership, sources told Bloomberg. So here's the figure. More than $6 trillion have been wiped out from market value of Chinese and Hong Kong stocks since the peak was hit in 2021. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index, a gauge of Chinese shares listed in Hong Kong, is down more than 10% this year, that's in 2024, taking it to its lowest level in almost two decades. India overtakes Hong Kong. 
Speaking of lowest levels and Chinese stocks, India's stock market capitalization is on the higher side, having overtaken Hong Kong's for the first time, thanks to obviously record high levels of indices and stock values. The combined value of shares listed on Indian exchanges has reached $4.3 trillion as of Monday's close versus $4.29 trillion for Hong Kong, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. This also makes India at this point the fourth biggest equity market globally. We see India as the best structural growth story across not just emerging markets, but worldwide, Ivan Metcalf, CEO at Global X ETFs, told Bloomberg. Global pension and sovereign wealth managers are also seen favoring India, according to a recent study by London-based think tank Official Monetary and Financial Institutions Forum. Why PSU stocks and valuations could have some way to go. More on stocks, of course, but bear with me. Consider this. In September 2020, the government, that's of India, offered shares of Mazagon Dock shipbuilders at 145 rupees per share. The value of those shares bought at 14,500 rupees is now 236,500 rupees. If you invested in Rail Vikas Nigam and in IRFC, for instance, 100 shares of Rail Vikas Nigam bought at 1,900 rupees in the March 2019 initial public offer are worth about 32,000 rupees. And 100 shares of IRFC bought at about 2,600 rupees at the IPO level are worth 17,600 rupees. Now, all this math has been put together by veteran journalist and economics writer Shankar Ayer in his latest column in the New Indian Express, where he says that there is much noise, admittedly, about valuations and sustainability and the lack of liquidity and the monopolistic status of these public sector or state-owned enterprises, all of which is worthy of attention. But what is also worthy of attention is that the benchmark Nifty 50, which includes both private and public companies, has grown about 76%, which is of course no mean feat. But the shares of 25 public sector enterprises, or over a third of the universe of listed public sector enterprises, have grown 100% in market value. All these public sector enterprises come from mostly different sectors and do not have much or have little in common except, of course, in a few cases. I reached out to Shankar Iyer and I began by asking him what explained this phenomenon and, of course, the more obvious question, would this continue? There is a recognition that the growth in India is being led by government investment. The markets sort of seem to have absorbed that. And if you looked at the GDP numbers which came, the advanced estimates, it shows that government consumption is up, capex is up, but private consumption is still at 4.2-4.4%, which is actually a cost for concern. But typically what happens is that when you have investment-led growth, the private consumption is a lag indicator, although the, here the lag is a large lot more. But moving away from that, the reason why these PSU stocks are sort of moving up is the phenomenal amount of money that the government has pumped into the public sector. So there is a crystal estimate that says between 2017 and now, like last seven years, they have spent like 67 trillion rupees or 67 lakh crores. And crystal estimates, quite astonishing, the number, that this will double in the next seven years to about 140 trillion rupees. Basically, what is happening that is, we all know about the acceleration of the roads program. Now it's at some 28 kilometers per day. We know that there's been some activity on railways, but the extent 
is truly amazing in the sense that now we are laying new railway lines about 15 kilometers per day. We are doing 40,000 kilometers of electrification of railway lines. So how does this play out? So IRCON, IRFC, Rail Vikas Nigam, these are the companies which get the orders, which are pushing the activity. Power Finance Corporation, for instance, in renewables and conventional energy, the investment that's happening. If you looked at roads, again, the same story. So there is a push towards the government-led investment. Now, once the market discovers this or absorbs this or understands this, it has to play it out to the investor population, which it has been doing for the last maybe 12 to 15 months. What helped the tailwind in the sense is we have a very captive savings market in India because you save whatever you have to play it in India. And so those who are financialized their savings have to go into the stock market. So if you look at the mutual fund collections, it's gone up from like 40 lakh crores to 51 lakh crores, which is like an acquisition addition of uh, 11 trillion rupees of, or 11 lakh crores of rupees into the stock market. And that is looking for avenues. We don't have a really broad market, although we have a huge number of listed stock. But the one interesting thing, last thing I would say, is that it's not just Indian money. It's also foreign portfolio funds which are going into institutions like IRFC, PFC, you know, Power Finance Corporation. Right. So many stocks have done well, and there are also many which have not. Between one and two-fifths of, let's say, companies are loss-making in the PSU universe. Now, how should the government play this going forward? I mean, should there be some sort of weeding out or, you know, which was the strategy in the past as well, you know, loss making PSUs versus profit making and so on? So there are two parts to this. One is how does the policy move? For instance, yesterday, the prime minister announced about rooftop solar. I and mean, this is something that we've been arguing for almost a decade now. And that has pumped up the shares of Rural Electrification Corporation, IREDA and all those companies are moving up. Now, there is movement and profitability where the government is investing money into those sectors and pushing it up in the sense. But there's also companies, 59 of the 249 or operative PSUs are in losses and their losses are something to the tune of 16,000 crores. Now, the geography of these enterprises or the sectoral spread of these enterprises will reveal that where the government is at a monopolistic situation, oil exploration, for instance, ONGC, Indian Oil, Power Finance Corporation, I mean, who finances rural electrification, REC. So those companies and those PSUs and those shares are doing well. But the valuation that has been generated in these companies can be leveraged by the government to reduce its deficit and debt. And how do they do that? I think the government owns between 70 and 90% of the equity stocks in these companies. Uh, and this argument has been made more than once that it should reduce its holdings to 51% in financial corporations and at least 74% in other corporations. And the value that you get out of it could be used to trim deficit. The other part is that there is a need to create a sovereign trust, something that, you know, Temasek in Singapore, what do you do? You take all the assets and park it in a sovereign trust fund, leverage it, securitize it, issue ETFs, 
you keep the options open because this government is convinced that privatization is not an idea they can sell politically. You're also therefore in some ways betting that this trend will continue, that the government will continue to invest at the same level and therefore this universe will benefit as we look ahead next six months to a year or even more. But the market estimates that the government will continue. The government has to solve a set of problems. One is energy dependence. So we import 83% of the fossil fuel that we consume. So that has to be replaced with solar, renewables, whatever. So who's going to do that? So the push has to come from the government. The problem with the government is the policy level, everything is, as they say in Delhi, sub changa hai. But when it comes to execution, there are a lot of issues that need to be cleaned out. Wherever the government goes retail, it has its struggles, like large corporations struggle with retail. The sector is replete with issues of uplinking, of refunds and stuff like that. But if they crack it and the market just now, the narrative is more important than the numbers. So the market seems to estimate that, I mean, if you look at the market today, REC and other renewable stocks like Borosil, they're all shot up. So there is a certain amount. I think what the government needs is to create an ecosystem of people who can execute the retail connect, and which is where I suppose the startups can play a role here. Right. Shankar, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Govind. Always a pleasure. Decoding the consumer product slowdown story. In Tuesday's episode, we spoke of how value growth had slowed down in India's entire consumer's product sector, with the whole of last year seeing barely a 2% growth, with December 2023 reporting negative growth over December 2022. And these figures came from retail intelligence agency Bizom, which tracks over 700,000 retailers. So, more units of products were of course sold, but prices were down, so it got adjusted lower, which is the value. So the interesting question here is, are India's consumer markets reaching peak consumption, for example, in soaps? And what is growing within the consumer goods space and not? I put this question to Gautam Dugad, Head of Research and Director of Institutional Equities at Investment Bank Motilal Oswal. As part of a panel I moderated on Outlook for Equities for 2024, organized by Baroda BNP Paribas Mutual Fund in Mumbai last evening. Let me come back to you, Gautam. So uh, let's look at consumer products for a few minutes. So uh, the story now everyone knows is that there is uh, a problem on uh, the rural side, there is a problem on uh, low-value uh, items, uh, premium products are going. There was, I think, a question to that effect earlier as well uh, just now. So give us a sense on how you are seeing it. And obviously, I know your lens is very sharp, which is a good thing. You're saying that, okay, what is, it, what is the stock that I can buy rather than what's the problem that the sector is facing? Go ahead. No, see, going the... We've uh, overhyped consumption, at least in the stock markets. The reason I say that is if you look at numbers and you look at the trailing data, because future is always rosy for every stock in India. If you look at the trailing 10-year data in Indian consumption, and I'm talking about Staples, FMCG, low-ticket products, there are hardly two companies which have grown their top line at 10% plus compounding. I'm not talking about volumes. I'm talking about top line. So that includes volume plus pricing. Right. And for that, uh, obviously, we've also gone through a period where GST was implemented. Lot of cost efficiencies were derived out of it, which were not fully passed on to customers. And then you also had a period which coincided with premiumization, which automatically lifted your relation and helped your bottom line. 
so uh, even then the compounded earnings for staple companies on a 10 year basis is hardly 12-13%. Now that 12-13% was getting 60-70 as Mahesh mentioned multiples. You have a similar sector, Indian IT sector. It has also grown earnings at a similar rate, 10-12%. Top line might be a percent or two lower because their sizes are very high now, at least the tier one IT companies. But when you discuss IT companies in India, moment their PE crosses 20, 21, 22, people start trembling. Whereas for consumer stock, 50, 60 is par for the course. Because people believe that the visibility of an Indian consumer using a soap or a shampoo for 50 years is there. Now one thing you have to notice is in last 15 years, the penetration levels of a lot of categories have gone up significantly. And my own thesis is that once your category crosses 80-85% penetration, it's practically dead from a growth point of view. There are many such examples you have, detergent, soaps, toothpaste, n number of categories, where penetration used to be 60-70% in 2005-10 to 10 era. Uh, different categories cross that 90% barrier, some have even reached 95-100 also. Uh, the moment they cross that barrier, the growth slows down dramatically. So when you say 9500, is it percentage of uh, population? So it's very funnily defined in India. If you use a soap once in six months, you are a penetrated customer. Right? <laughs> so everyone's trying to imagine what that smells uh, I, like. <laughs> I used to look at this data very carefully when I was in my first job as a sales guy in PNG. Uh, so I, out of curiosity, asked the Nelson fellows that point of time. So that's how they explain. But be that as it may, as long as you're making the same error for every category, you're comparing like to like. So your penetrations have gone up. That has killed the growth. At some point of time, growth will obviously come back because rural tend to be more cyclical in nature. The second element is uh, some of this blame also rests with the companies themselves because I think our companies haven't innovated enough in the last 10, 15 years. 20-25% margins, 70-80% ROEs, everyone has become entitled to that. So when you get used to those kind of margins and return ratios, uh, you take eyes off the innovation uh, gear. That comes to haunt you a uh, few years later. So yeah. That sector is passing through that phase. Uh, but definition of consumption has evolved. You know, 15 years back when we were tracking consumption sector, it used to be 14-15 stocks, you know, 10 FMCG stocks. 3-4 retail stocks and maybe uh, some paint or some liquor stocks here or there. Today you are in a situation where staples is receded into a background and a whole new ocean of discretionary consumption is evolved. You, know, you have lifestyle, retail, jeweler, hotel, QSR, paints, uh, like 10 subcategories. And today, I mean, I want five consumption analysts in my team. I have just one. Because the traditional way of looking at consumption has changed in India. And as your per capita grows from 2,500 to 4,000 or 5,000, whenever it happens, obviously the incremental dollars, people are not going to buy more soaps or shampoos. People will splurge on some of the more discretionary items. Maybe you can include auto also in that, property also in that. Right? So the definition of consumption has evolved. Uh, you are seeing more new listings there. Uh, that itself necessitates uh, more resources devoted to that space. So when you spot stocks, and uh, I'm going to come back to Mahesh in a second, uh, when you look at stocks, do you look at companies who have a greater share or growing share of premiumization, or are you looking at companies which are pure premium? 
products so, or services. So, so there is no specific rule that at least I follow. I look at anything which can make me money, right? So, because there's no yeah, price yeah. in following a particular style. Yeah. Ultimately, the color of the money is same, whichever style you follow. I think in consumption, you have to look at the, the size of the price, right? If you're present in a bigger category, and that category, if you're, it's also growing, then obviously, you're a larger size of a growing category. The second most important thing is that, uh, do you have a leadership position in that category? There are some companies which have been enjoying monopoly status in India for four, four, five, five decades. And they've been able to protect that citadel from competitive attacks for a fairly long period of time. So by virtue of that, they tend to enjoy a lot more premium despite the growth being slow. So you have to identify first the category size. Is that category growing? And within that category, if you have a demonstrated track record of gaining share and growing ahead of the category, I mean, it all sounds very <laughs> cliche, but uh, over a period of time, if you're able to practice that consistently, uh, you wouldn't have done too badly. Tea exports, guess who's buying? Sticking to consumer products, but tea and exports. Indian tea companies are rocking it in Iraq, making up for the fall they've seen in some other West Asian major markets, the Business Standard is reporting. Exports to Iraq between January and October 2023 stood at about 29 million kilograms, compared to just 12 million kilograms in the same period the previous year, according to data from state-run Tea Board of India. So the Iraqis may not be really drinking more tea, but more likely that India is filling a gap vacated by Sri Lanka. Also, demand from Russia, United Arab Emirates and Iran, all tea-drinking countries and major importers of Indian tea has declined. Himanshu Shah, chairman of MK Shah Exports, told Business Standard that Iraq was predominantly an Indian tea market, but that was 30 years ago. And as Indian companies increased their business dependence on Russia, Sri Lanka captured the Iraq market. Now he says a reverse is happening as Sri Lanka has yet to go back to its normal crop levels after the economic crisis. Sri Lanka accounts for about 50% of global trade for orthodox tea, which has a large market in West Asia, but its production has declined gradually from a peak of 340 million kilograms in 2013. So all in all, good news for Indian tea, Indian tea producers and Indian tea entrepreneurs. Canada puts a two-year cap on international student visas. This was being speculated in recent weeks, but it's been announced now. A massive rush of foreign students into Canada, including from India, has led to Canada imposing an immediate two-year cap on new international student visas to tackle a housing crisis and also target institutional bad actors or essentially colleges. More than 800,000 international students were issued temporary study visas in 2022. Of this, India constituted 319,000 students. Immigration Minister Mark Miller said as part of the cap, there would be a 35% reduction in new study visas in 2024, which is expected to result in 364,000 new approved permits in 2024 only. The cap will be in place for two years and the number of permits to be issued in 2025 will be reassessed at the end of this year. In a media statement, Ontario, a province, Minister of Colleges and Universities, said her government recognizes that some bad actors are taking advantage of these students with false promises of guaranteed employment, residency and Canadian citizenship. On that note, have a great day ahead.
That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>